Good morning. My name is Steve Reynolds. I've been at Bible Center for 55 years now. My wife Emily and I were married when the Bible Center was on the boulevard. We raised three children through the Bible Center and now working on 10 grandchildren. I've served in several ways over the years, but our passion has always been the youth. Currently, I serve as a guide and teacher in uh, base camp. If you would, please turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to Romans 16, 17 through 20. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Romans 16, 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naïve. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Well, has anyone ever tried to bully you into being more spiritual than Jesus? That's what this series is about as we're talking about spiritual abuse. Evidently, last Sunday that struck a chord in many of your hearts, uh, for I've been, been at Bible Center almost a year, and the most emails by far that I've ever received after a message about it resonating in people's hearts was last Sunday. And so I want to extend the invitation. If you have a story or if the Lord has spoken to your heart or encouraged you in some way uh, through the series, feel free to continue to do that. Um, I won't uh, mention your name from the platform, certainly won't uh, call you out, but I would love to hear your story and just tuck those away to know that this is something that more of us have wrestled with than what I even realized uh, as your pastor a one anonymous note that came in this past week wrote this. I grew up believing in God as someone to fear. God expects perfection, and I had to try harder every day to be perfect or he wouldn't accept me. Loving God meant being obedient, and I believe that the more obedient I was, the more God would like me because the church liked very obedient children. We were given lists of things we couldn't do, and I made sure to obey. I can, I can remember standing in church begging God to forgive me for whatever I'd done. I couldn't always remember doing anything wrong, but I just knew that God was upset with me, and I didn't quite meet his perfection standard. I was terrified of failure, terrified of dying without getting that forgiveness. Last week we saw that spiritual abuse is real, but thankfully Jesus cares how you feel. And our Lord calls us to believe on him for healing, to believe on him for grace, and can still do amazing things uh, in our lives. 
One thing as I talk with people who have this background that I've noticed is that many of us wrestle with the fear of what people think of us. There's a lot of different reasons, and we won't get into the details about it, but many who come from a background of spiritual abuse constantly wrestle with their appearance. Do people think I'm measuring up? Are people going to like me? Are people going to accept me? As I read through these questions, see what part of this may resonate with you. Maybe you're asking the question, why am I always controlled by the opinions of others? Maybe you're afraid of making mistakes that'll make you look bad in the eyes of others. Are you afraid that someone may expose you as an imposter or embarrass you? Do you feel grossly underappreciated for all that you do, especially in the church? Do you ever tell little white lies to make people like you more? Are you jealous of other people, especially people in church or religious communities? Do you find it hard to say no when asked to do something because you're afraid you'll disappoint the person who asked? Do you secretly flip through Facebook or Instagram and get angry and depressed because you feel like everybody's life is much more perfect than yours? Do you obsessively watch Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat to see how many likes you get in comparison to how many likes somebody else gets? Do you live afraid that you won't get invited to the party or that you'll be ignored? Did someone hurt you? Or do you feel as though you would be hurt and you can't bear the thought of someone liking, not liking you? If you walk into a room, do you feel responsible for everyone present? Is it your job to make sure they're happy? Did you live trying to make your spiritual friends and family think you're great? Or worse, do you live every day trying to make Jesus think that you're great? If that's you and some of this is me, let me invite you to a place of rest this morning. Jesus, as we saw last week, says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the next few minutes, we're going to look at Romans 16 and see the rest that God invites you into. And it's my prayer today that you'll leave with a new resolve to let the chips fall where they may and let Jesus' opinion of you be the only opinion that matters. If you have your notes, I invite you to follow along. We'll look first of all in verse 19 for point number one. How do we heal from hard religion? Well, number one, Paul invites us to love the gospel or he reminds us to love the gospel. In verse 19, he writes this, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. Number one, love the gospel. The Roman church had quite the reputation for following the gospel. All around the empire, it was known that the church in Rome was becoming a citadel for gospel truth. And so the Apostle Paul writes, first of all, to encourage these Christians. He says that I rejoice over you. Two weeks ago, Pastor Bill Tanzi preached a message from Zephaniah 3.17 about how God sings over his children. 
Pastor Robert said it reminded him at night he sings over his boys before they go to sleep. And just to think of that truth that God sings over his kids. Maybe it's possible Paul was quoting Zephaniah 3.17. But Paul wanted to tell them, I rejoice over you. I celebrate over you. But he also wrote to warn them. C.H. Spurgeon used to say that the devil never kicks a dead horse. The devil never kicks a dead horse. So if you feel like the devil's after you, you know that God must be up to something. And so the church was exploding. The church was moving forward. And Satan was after the church in Rome. And so Paul writes and he warns them. And he says, be careful about this religious division. Where did the religious division come from? Well, we find that early on in AD 49, the emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. We see a record of it not only in history, but also in Acts chapter 18 and verse 2. The historian Suetonius gives us a little more detail and that it was thought that the Jews were turning to Christus, which is Latin for Christ. And so the emperor expelled them from Rome. So for the first few years, the church was largely Gentile. But after several years, the Jews begin to trickle back into Rome. And you can imagine as they trickled their way back into the churches. The churches for several years had been without the influence of Moses and without the influence of the Jews. And although they all turned to Jesus as their Messiah, they were coming back into worship services And the Gentiles thought, well, it doesn't really matter what these Jews used to do. That's the old way. Now, this is the new way. They're just going to have to like it or lump it. And then the Jews come in and they thought, how could these people not know who Moses is? How could they not know all these laws and regulations? Even though we believe in Jesus as our Messiah, they need to keep these laws, specifically the law of circumcision. Talk about a painful law to enforce. And as they come into the, uh, the church, there's this division and fighting, and the apostle Paul writes to them, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, verse 17, watch out for those who are causing divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve the Lord Jesus but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. Interestingly, in Romans 14 and 15, he spends two chapters talking about how to handle disagreements. And Paul really doesn't take one side or the other. He doesn't say, well, you Jews are crazy, or you Gentiles have lost your minds. But instead, he writes about trying to find a way to come together, to defer to one another, And be able to live and bring the cultures together under one umbrella. Now what is the one umbrella? What could bring a divided church together to be a a citadel in the Roman Empire? The answer is in verse 19 and it's in the word obedience. If you're taking notes and you want to write beside the word obedience three references... Paul was not talking about a specific code of conduct. He wasn't writing and saying, because you have a certain standard, the church can be unified. But if you want to write these down, Romans chapter 1 and verse 5 writes this. Through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. 
to bring about the obedience, there's our word again, of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Romans 15, 18 through 19. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to, what's the word? Obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the, what? The gospel of Christ. Look with me in Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. Romans 16, 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the, what's the word? Obedience of faith. As Paul wrote to the early church, this obedience was specific. It was the obedience to the gospel. And in verse 19, he says, you have a certain number of preferences over here, and you've got a certain amount of preferences over here. And the only thing that could bring you together is the gospel of Jesus Christ and your obedience to it. And Bible Center Church, the only thing that will keep us together for the decades to come is a loyalty and a love for the gospel of Jesus Christ above all else. The gospel is the good news that the living God, who demands perfection of all humankind, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life to suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment we rightfully deserve to rise again, to ascend back into heaven. And he gives forgiveness and righteousness and his spirit and eternal life at the moment anyone repents and believes. Where in Charleston, West Virginia, on a Sunday, rainy Sunday morning, are you going to have this many different kinds of people with different backgrounds and different demographics and Republicans and Democrats and independents and blue collar and white collar and and people from downtown and people from uptown. Where will you get this many different kinds of people together and why? Oh, you could piece it together for a ball game, I guess. But if you've been to a ball game lately, there's not a whole lot of unity uh, in the stands. Bible Center kids played yesterday uh, in Huntington, and I was reminded, you know, again that, you know, even though the refs make bad calls, I want to keep my job, and so sometimes you have to hold your tongue. But we are coming together not for an athletic event, not for a ball game. It is the gospel that has built Bible Center Church, and it's the gospel that will grow Bible Center Church. And among all else, among our differences and among our desires, may we be a people who love the gospel. When your next door neighbor says, hey, what's Bible Center about? Just say, hey, we're all about the gospel. When your coworker says, what's your church about? Say, oh, we're all about the gospel. What's the gospel? That's a great question. Then you can share. On November 1st, 
had breakfast at First Watch with one of Bible Center's own deacons, Mitch Abraham. Mitch used to be my neighbor. And on November 1st, we talked, seems like just a few weeks ago. I said, Mitch, share your story with me. And I shared this the Sunday after our breakfast, but I need to share it again. There on November 1st, he says that John was just a little boy, about four years old. So this would have been about 32 years ago. And he heard that Bible Center Church had a great Awana program. So he would bring John to Awana, and he would come and sit through some of the classes. There was a man by the name of C.W. Lee, whose children and grandchildren still attend this church, and some are here this morning. And C.W. noticed that Mitch was new and young, young dad, and began to befriend Mitch. And one day he asked him, hey, do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? And Mitch says, no, sir, I don't. And that day, in one of the seats, in one of our classes, C.W. Lee led Mitch Abraham to faith in Jesus Christ. He said he couldn't remember the words he prayed, but he remembered bowing his head, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to be his Savior. Last Sunday, Mitch was here, and some of us were teasing him because of the different surgeries that he's had lately. He's been in and out of church and he joked with us and said that he would do anything for attention, you know, all the nurses, all of his family. And this past Thursday morning, we got the call that Mitch went home to be with the Lord Jesus, unexpectedly at work. Everybody I talked to who knew Mitch Abraham, many of you have told me this week, have told Pastor Chad this week, that man loved the gospel. And may it be true for the generations to come that that legacy would define who we are. If you've been uh, through the ringer, you've been spiritually hurt, you've been hurt with church, you've been hurt in life, Paul says, let your obedience, primarily to the gospel, be the thing that marks your character. Well, there's a second way, a second step, so to speak, that Paul gives. And we see it in verse 19, halfway through the verse. Number two, how do we heal from hard religion? Do good. Number two, do good. In verse 19, he writes, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Number two, do good. How could the Roman church, the Roman Christians, overcome conflict? How could they respond to those who were seeking to do, bring division into the church? Paul didn't say debate them. Matter of fact, Paul wrote to Timothy later and said, don't debate them. Don't get into useless babbling and debates and discussions. But instead, here in verse 19, he writes, Be wise as to what is good. That's a, a Greco-Roman way of saying do good works, do good things, and simple or innocent to what is evil. Ever wonder why the Apostle Paul would encourage them in this way? Like instead of taking them head on to confront these false teachers, which sometimes there's a place for that. Instead, he says, no, just go do some good in the world. I think one of the reasons, and this is just speculation, uh, but Paul knew something about our hearts. 
And it seems that people who've wrestled with this in their past often struggle with, with decisions they made in their past. Why didn't I get out of it earlier? Why did I let someone treat me that way? Maybe you're wrestling with your past. Why did I make this decision? And every morning you wake up with your past and you think about how you brought hurt into your own life or you brought hurt into your family's life. And Jesus says, just like Paul, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Paul says, listen, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Just go and do good. If you've got breath, if you've got life, just go do some good in the world. It may also be that Paul knew that these folks like, like us have a tendency of giving people too many rights into our lives. I've done it. Maybe you've done it. Sometimes we think that people are like gas pumps, and their job is to fill us up. People are like tickets. They give us acceptance or fame or access. And the more important people you know, the more fame and access you have. Maybe in the past you felt like people were like priests. Uh, they make you feel clean. It's up to them to make you feel accepted. Or maybe you felt people are like dictators. You've met people who every word they say has to be law, and you've let them have control over your life in some religious way. Or maybe people to you are like idols, and people have become big, and God has become small. This past week, I read... Uh, this book. A friend recommended it several years ago. Um, it's an easy read, about 200 pages. When people are big and God is small, I encourage you to pick it up this week and read it. Let me invite you in the minutes we have left. Turn over with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Maybe you're wondering, what specifically, what good does Paul want me to do? What evil does Paul want me to avoid? Well, he uses the same exact word in Romans 12, 9, but he's going to get really specific. So we have it in our minds. What evil does God want us to avoid? He wants us to avoid stealing. He wants us to avoid meth labs. He wants us to avoid whatever is in your mind. Well, that's true, by the way, for the record. That's all true. Avoid those things. But verse 9, he has a message for the church. He says in verse 9, let love be genuine. What kind of good does he want you to do? Just love people. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Paul might say, why do you not sing? Why do you not pray? Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those. What about people who've hurt you in the past? This is the question I get the most. What do I do with people who've hurt me in the past? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
live in harmony with one another. Do not be... Now, right about now is when you're thinking of the person in your family, physical family, or maybe the person in this church. You get them in your mind? You're like, man, that person, Matt. Preach to that person. They need this message. Well, let's look here in verse, in verse 16. Do not be haughty. Don't be proud for yourself, but associate the lonely, lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to tell you about my friend Jim in Louisville. Jim had a couple tours in Iraq, and Jim was diagnosed with, diagnosed with PTSD. And so uh, when I first got to know Jim, he was a quiet fella, still is a very quiet fella. Uh, kind of a burly guy, not a guy I'd want to mess with. And I knew something was going on in Jim's mind. I really didn't know him all that well, and he didn't share. But at the church I came from, we had to get there about 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings to set up. And for almost five years, we did that. We would get, haul everything out of the attic, all the kids' equipment. Uh, we would haul it out. We would haul out all the tables for uh, hospitality, all the coffee equipment. It was all in storage, and we would roll it out. So we had from about 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. to get it all set up. Let me just tell you, I love now being at Bible Center Church. <laughs> Your chairs were already set up this morning. Maybe once a year we should just, like, do that, right? Just, just to remember what other smaller churches and new churches go through. Just pack it all into storage, and then uh, some of you are like, no way, not, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, but we would get it all out. And so we recruited Jim to help us. We tried to find a place for every one of our members to serve. So Jim started helping with us. And after a while, he began to open up a little bit more about his experiences in Iraq. Talked about his friends who would cope with alcohol and drugs. Um, talk about how hard it was to be in a crowd and how anger was his way of holding people at arm's length and how God was working in his life. But Jim was one of the most faithful servants, man. I could be there at 5 a.m., and Jim was almost always already there. And Jim would serve, be one of the last people to leave. He and his family would jump in. And one day I asked Jim, I said, Jim, why is it you serve so much? Why do you serve so faithfully? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Matt, I love the gospel, but doing good is the way I heal. And Christian, let me invite you to love the gospel, but doing good is the way you'll heal. We don't heal by sitting on the couch with a bag of potato chips, just waiting for the lightning of grace to hit us. And then one day we are going to be as spiritual as the Apostle Paul and we'll emerge from the couch and get a shower and hopefully, and then come out and serve the world. That's not how it works. But we heal while we hurt. And we as a community, we come together 
determined to do good in the city of Charleston and determined to do good in the Kanawha Valley. And God gradually heals us just like he heals a wound. It's never instant, but it's always while we're doing good. Love the gospel. You've been hurt, do good. But number three and lastly, stay away from evil. Stay away from evil. Paul gives us just some meat and potatoes instructions. Here in verse 19, be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Stay away from evil. He's repeating what he already wrote back in verse 17. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught and avoid them. And Paul gets very specific. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. What does innocent mean in verse 19? If you're taking notes, the Greek word for innocent means pure. It was a word used for pure metal, uh, not weakened in any way. It was also a word used in wine. Uh, it was a wine that had not been diluted. It was the purest of wines. And it's only used in two pla other places in the New Testament. Jesus used it in Matthew 10, 16, one of the most famous verses in our Bible, where Jesus says, Be wise as serpents, but harmless or innocent as doves. It's the same word. And so Paul writes to encourage us. Let me give it a, a modern Matt translation. Here's another way to say it. Build boundaries in your life. Build healthy boundaries in your life so that you can flourish to the glory of God. Build healthy boundaries in your life so you can flourish to the glory of God. There are some environments, by God's grace, I will never put my kids through. Some environments that Sarah and I grew up in, some camp environments and some church environments. I don't want my kids to have to experience that. They're going to have to experience their own hardships, and I know I have no idea what those are going to be. But I don't want to purposely put them in that. We're trying to help them build healthy boundaries. Maybe you need to stop checking that person's Facebook every day. You know who I'm talking about, that person you can't stand. But every morning before you get out of bed, you scroll through Facebook, and you have it there. You know, at the top, you can put your little favorite marker, right? And, and I can see some of you are like, yeah, this is talking to me. Um, you, 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 you push that button, and you look, and you're like, oh, man. And you start the day angry at that person, and you end the day angry at that person. Just stay away. Don't repeat the cycle of violence. If you've come to Bible Center Church, and you've come from a hurtful situation, please let us know how we can protect you. Our pastors and our elders want this to be a place that's safe. And if there's a way we can help you provide safety, please let us know. Stay away from evil. What's the main encouragement this morning? It's really our three main points. Love the gospel, do good, and stay away from evil. Some of you have wondered why there's a basketball hoop behind me. Uh, this came from our driveway. Caleb and a couple others went and picked it up this week. My neighbor's here this morning, and I'm glad he didn't call the cops when they came to steal my basketball hoop. Um, but 
One reason is just to keep you awake. Another is just to serve as a reminder for this illustration. I want to end by asking, what makes a good basketball player? What makes a good basketball player? Now, Coach Osborne can probably tell us. He's got a lot of good basketball players on his team. Uh, But let me tell you what doesn't make a good basketball player. Maybe you remember this guy. He was famous for breaking the rules. Now, he had a lot of talent, far gifted, but he was just known for constantly breaking the rules. That doesn't make, in my opinion, a good basketball player. Whining like this guy doesn't make a good basketball player. I know I've heard the different, I read the articles and different things, and I hope he, he figures this out, but whining doesn't make you a good basketball player. Complaining, you remember this guy? Bill Lambeer, what foul, for the play for the Detroit Pistons, would always point to the ref and say it was the ref's fault. The ref made a bad call. He was famous for that. None of those things make for a great basketball player. You know what makes for a good basketball player? It's just somebody who avoids the distractions and they put the ball in the hoop. 30 years ago, this past week, this guy did his famous dunk from the foul line. I think it's February 8th, 30 years ago. And he was notorious. He wasn't known for whining. I'm sure he whined. He wasn't known for breaking the rules. He was just known for putting the ball in the hoop. What is Paul calling us to do today as a church? He says, let your obedience be made known to all. Be wise in that which is good and simple concerning evil. Love the gospel. Do good. Stay away from evil. We could summarize it this way. Christian, just put the ball in the hoop. Let's bow for prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we want to take every opportunity in every service for you to accept Christ as your Savior. As we preached the gospel a few minutes ago, and the Lord has spoken to your heart, I can think of no better time than during communion for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to partake of communion, and this is for believers, those who know they're on their way to heaven, those who are not perfect, but our sins have been forgiven. Today, if you want this to be your first communion, I can think of no better way than right now to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm going to pray a prayer. There's no set prayer in the Bible for salvation. One man just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In your own words, let me encourage you to pray to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But I believe you love me. I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave. And I ask you now to save my soul. Take my sin away and make me like new. Thank you for making me a Christian. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, in a moment we invite you to take communion with us, but more importantly, let us help you. God put this church on 100 Bible Center Drive 
And we'll go out as a church through all around the city this week to help people like you grow in their faith. Let us know how we can help you. Reach out to me. I'll be here at the front. We'll have pastors in the living room. Drop me a note this week so we can help you grow in your faith. Father, now as we partake of communion, I ask that you would help us to remember that it was your good news that made all of this possible. Thank you for sending Jesus for us. It's in his name we pray. And amen.